Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, open them to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be looking at chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. And while you're turning there, uh, let me just talk to you a little bit and remind you, first of all, that at Selmore, our mission is to pray, give, go, and disciple for the glory of God and for the spread of the gospel. And I just want to let you know a couple of ways that we'll be doing that here in the near future. First of all, uh, thank you for bringing school supplies for Camino a la Cruz. And even though we are not able to take the mission trip up to Omaha, we are going to be delivering those school supplies to them so that they can hand those out in their community. We'll be doing that tomorrow, and so keep us in your prayers as we go up there and deliver those supplies. Also want to let you know that two weeks from today, we will be blessed to have the Gideon ministry with us. Uh, And as you all know, Gideons are a wonderful ministry that distribute the word of God. We'll have an opportunity to give an offering to support the distribution of the word of God. And so be aware of that, that that is upcoming and be praying about what you can contribute to that. And the other thing I want to let you know, just as kind of a, a heads up, is on August 29th, that's a Sunday, five weeks from today, Um, I've decided that we're going to take a Sunday and we're going to do a little bit of evangelism training. Because even though we can't necessarily be going on mission trips right now with all that's going on, we can and must be telling people about Jesus. Where we live, where we work, where we play, in our neighborhoods. And so I hope that you'll be sure and circle that day and be here that day. And we'll do a little bit of training that day. And I think that that will be helpful and pleasing to God. I want to say one more thing. First of all, thank you to Cliff and, and all of those who were up here this morning leading worship. Um, you always do a great job, guys. We appreciate you. Uh, James and Sherry, who are here today, were supposed to be in Mexico sitting under a palm tree right now. And that didn't work out for various reasons. So James is volunteered to come and run our sound today. He's doing that from an iPad, actually, in his pew. Technology is crazy. But uh, we appreciate you guys being here, too, and and thank you for coming. All right, well, this morning we we continue on our year-long journey through the book of Hebrews, this great epistle that tells us in so many ways that Jesus is better. And today we are starting on chapter 10, which means that we have nine chapters down and four to go. And my goodness, all of you are going to be scholars on the book of Hebrews by the time that we're done with this year. You're, You're going to be experts And I'm confident that you'll be discipling others, leading them through this book, right? Helping them to see that Jesus is better. Let's turn our attention to today's text. And this morning we come back to a familiar theme of this book. That being that the old covenant has passed away and a new and better covenant has come. To put it another way, the author of Hebrews tells his readers throughout this book, you don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. You don't have to go through a human priest. You don't have to do it in an earthly tabernacle. Why? Because Jesus gave his life on the cross as the once and for all sacrifice. He is now our great high priest, making intercession for us in the heavenly tabernacle. Isn't that fantastic? That's great news. Now, in today's text, the author is going to focus specifically on those animal sacrifices and why they're not good enough. Along these lines, the title of today's sermon is Earthly Offerings Are Insufficient. Earthly Offerings Are Insufficient. Now, I do want to offer a clarification. Understand when I use the word 
offerings throughout today's sermon that in this sense, I'm not necessarily talking about financial offerings that we put into an offering plate to support missions and and the ministry of the church. No, I'm talking about offerings in the broader sense of things that we offer to God in order to earn his favor, things that we offer to God to try and obtain salvation. And you may think, well, how does this apply to me? Because obviously I'm not sacrificing animals like the Hebrews were, or were at least thinking about. I hope you're not doing that. But think of it this way. Maybe you and I are not tempted to go back to the old covenant and sacrifice animals like the Hebrews were tempted to do. But I would submit to you that many people today are indeed presenting earthly offerings to God of various kinds, hoping by doing so to earn God's favor and to obtain salvation. The main point of today's text is that simply won't work. Earthly offerings are insufficient. The only thing that can justify us in the sight of a holy God is a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. All right? So that's the overview of the sermon today. Now, let's start digging into our text and see what we can learn. This morning, we're going to identify three reasons that earthly offerings are insufficient. We'll start by reading chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. It says, For the law... Having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. All right. Reason number one that earthly offerings are insufficient is that it is not possible for earthly offerings to take away sin. In verses one through four, the author sets out to make the point that the sacrificial system of the Old Testament was not sufficient to take away sin. Verse 1 says the law was only intended to be a shadow, or we might say a preview of the good things to come, the good things to come, namely being Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean the old covenant was bad? No, absolutely not. The old covenant had its purpose. It had its place. Indeed, animal sacrifices in the Old Testament were commanded by God. These sacrifices brought a measure of restitution for the people's sins. These sacrifices brought a temporary cleanliness to the people's hearts. But the point is that it did not last. It wasn't permanent. The next time the people sinned, which knowing human nature was probably about 30 seconds later, they needed to make another sacrifice all over again. This is why verse 1 says these same sacrifices can never make those who approach perfect. The writer goes on to logically make this case in verse 2, basically saying this, look, if animal sacrifices could make anyone perfect or sinless, don't you think it would have happened by now? I mean, like surely after the 10th time or 100th time or 1,000th time, someone would have said, all right, I'm good. I'm perfect now. I'm permanently without sin. I don't need any more of these animal sacrifices. 
but that never happened. They went on perpetually. Why? Because earthly offerings were insufficient. As verse 2 says, if earthly offerings were sufficient, the worshipers would have been purified. They would have had no more consciousness or even remembrance of sin. The fact that it never reached that point leads to the conclusion in verse 4. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sins. Now, let's take that principle and apply it more broadly. It's not possible that any earthly offering can take away sin. It's so important that we understand this because there are so many people who are trying to bring God various earthly offerings in an attempt to earn his favor, in an attempt to obtain salvation. But as we see in this text, it's just not possible. For instance, did you know that many people think that their good deeds will get them into heaven? That if they just bring God an offering or a sacrifice of kind words and generous actions shown toward others, that based on that, God will declare them righteous? Did you know that many people think their morality will get them into heaven? That if they bring God an offering or a sacrifice of well-kept rules, more or less keeping the Ten Commandments, at least the big ones, right? That God will declare them righteous? Did you know that many people think their religious rituals will get them into heaven. That if they bring God an offering or a sacrifice of regular church attendance and putting money in the plate and and filling positions in the church, that God will, based on that, declare them righteous. Listen to me. It is not possible for earthly offerings, regardless of their nature, to take away sin. No matter how good our intentions, no matter how shiny our offering may be. The only thing that can wash away our sin, the only thing that can make us righteous before a holy God is putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Furthermore, the only thing that will matter when we one day stand before God in judgment is whether or not we have done so. The only question that matters on judgment day is what have you done with Jesus? Jesus' offering of his body on the cross is the only thing that can take away our sin. And here's the important part. In order for Christ's sacrifice to apply to us, we must repent of our sin. And we must believe on the Lord Jesus, calling upon his name for salvation. And so I would ask, how about you? Are you trusting in earthly offerings to take away your sin? Are you trusting in what you can bring to God? If so, you're no different than the Hebrews, who were still sacrificing animals. As we've seen in these verses, earthly offerings will never work. To be saved, we must put our faith in Jesus Christ. He is the only way. All right, let's keep reading. Let's turn now to verses 5 through 9. Therefore, when he, Jesus, came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first 
that he may establish the second. Reason number two why earthly offerings are insufficient is that God takes no pleasure in earthly offerings. Only Jesus will suffice. In verses 5 through 7, the writer of Hebrews quotes from Psalm chapter 40. This psalm is a prophecy of Christ written by King David centuries before Jesus was born. And even though the old covenant was still in effect at the time that David wrote this psalm, the Holy Spirit, writing through David, foresaw a time when burnt offerings and sacrifices would be required no more. Again, verse 5 says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. These words are written as though Jesus himself is speaking to the Heavenly Father. In fact, in verse 5, it's kind of interesting. The, the author of he- Hebrews attributes these words to Jesus, even though they are technically written by King David centuries earlier. In this passage, Jesus is in essence saying, Father, you did not ask me to make sacrifices. Rather, you gave me a human body that I might be the sacrifice. And Jesus is then quoted in verse 6 as saying that the Father takes no pleasure in offerings and sacrifices such as were given in the Old Testament. This is reiterated in verse 8. Offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them. Well, wait a minute. Why, Why would these verses say that? Because it was, after all, God who instituted these offerings. He instituted these sacrifices in the Old Testament. So why would it then say that God no longer takes pleasure in them? What Jesus means when he says that God no longer takes pleasure in these things is that God does not take interest in empty, meaningless, religious ritual. What happened in the Old Testament was that, yes, people would bring their sacrifices to the Lord according to the letter of the law, but they weren't doing it from their heart. They were just doing it out of obligation. They were just doing it out of routine. Are we ever guilty of that? You bet we are. Listen, God doesn't want us to worship him out of obligation. He doesn't want us to worship him out of routine. He is not flattered or impressed by our empty religious rituals. He does not want us to come to church because we feel like we must and begrudgingly give an offering and mouth the words of a few songs and not even think about what we're singing and then daydream during the sermon. He wants us to worship him and serve him from a heart that is genuine and a heart that is on fire for him. Lord, help us not to bring vain and empty worship. I'm pretty sure we'd be better off not to worship at all than to mindlessly go through the motions and offend God. But to take it one step further, ultimately, no earthly offering, even those given from the right heart and for the right reasons, is sufficient to bring about our salvation. For instance, animal sacrifices given from the right heart were at the very core of the old covenant. But there came a point when they were no longer adequate. God didn't want them anymore. Why? Because he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and replace those things. This is what it means in verse 9 when it says, he takes away the first to establish the second. When Jesus came, he did away with the first system. 
the law, the old covenant, the sacrifices, and in its place, he established the second system, the gospel, the new covenant, based on his once and for all sacrifice on the cross. Thus, God no longer takes pleasure in the old system, in the old covenant, but he does take pleasure in his son, the one who came to do his will, as it says in verse 9. So here's the application for us. So long as we try to earn God's favor with our own goodness, our own morality, our own religion, we will never please him. God takes no pleasure in earthly offerings. Instead, if we want to please God, we must come to him through the one who pleases him. We must come to him through faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus does please the Father. Verse 7 says Jesus came to earth and did God's will, that he fulfilled all that was written of him in the scriptures. Because unlike us in our, in our natural state, Jesus does please him. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized with the audible voice of God boomed from the heavens? This is my beloved son in whom I am well, what? Pleased. God is well pleased with Jesus. Only Jesus will suffice. If we want God to be pleased with us, we must come to him through faith in Jesus. That is the only way. And so again, I'd ask you the question, are you trusting in Jesus? Are you trusting in him alone for your righteousness? Don't depend on your own merit. You will never please God that way. Our righteousness is as filthy rags to God. We must come to him through Jesus, for the Father is perfectly pleased in his Son. All right, let's move on to our third and last reason why earthly offerings are insufficient. Look at verse 10. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Reason number three why earthly offerings are insufficient is that earthly offerings are not permanent, but the offering of Jesus sanctifies us forever. To fully understand verse 10, we need to look back at verse 9. In that verse, Christ, speaking through the psalmist, is quoted as saying, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. Well, what was God's will for Jesus? Well, his will was that he should come to earth, live a sinless life, die a sacrificial death on the cross, rise from the dead, and ascend back into the heavens. Did Jesus fulfill his Father's will in all of those things? Yes, absolutely. He fulfilled it perfectly. Again, verse 7 tells us, Jesus did God's will. And because he did, verse 10 says that by that will, in other words, by Jesus perfectly fulfilling the mission that his Father gave him, we, the church, his people, we have been sanctified. If Jesus had failed in his mission, if he had succumbed to temptation even once, if he had sinned at any point of, in his life, if he had refused to go to the cross and said, Father, I don't want any part of that, you and I would have no hope. We would have no salvation. We would be completely and hopelessly lost in our sin. But because Jesus was obedient, because he did his father's will, we have been sanctified through the offering of his body once and for all. What does it mean to be sanctified? 
Well, it means to be set apart, right? It means to be set apart for a special or holy purpose. Now, a little clarification here. Oftentimes when we talk about sanctification, we're referring to what theologians call our progressive sanctification. This is the process by which the Holy Spirit makes us a little more like Jesus day by day by day. We've talked about that many times. If we're truly saved, God works on us a little bit every day, doesn't he? Makes us just a little bit more like Jesus. We have some days we go backward a step, but Lord willing, the next day will be two steps forward. But what verse 10 refers to is something a little different. It's what we call our positional sanctification. So yes, on one hand, we're becoming a little more like Jesus day by day. But on the other hand, we're as saved and secure as we will ever be. It's finished. God has already set us apart for his purposes. And nothing can ever change that. And that, my friends, is what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. So we don't have to live with doubt of our salvation. We don't have to live day to day thinking, am I in or am I out? Have I sinned so bad this time that God has given up on me and cast me away? I can answer that. No. No. If you've genuinely come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, God has saved you and sanctified you once and for all. He has set you apart for all time. Earthly offerings can't do that. We've already said in the Old Testament, they had to sacrifice animals repeatedly because those sacrifices weren't permanent. They were never meant to be permanent. And likewise, no offering that you or I could ever bring God in our own strength could ever sanctify us once and for all. That's just not possible. But the offering of Jesus on the cross, that sanctifies us forever. Forever. I'll ask you one final time today. Have you turned from your sin and put your faith in Jesus? Only he can save you. Only he can sanctify you. All you must do is call on his name. Cry out to him and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please save me. And he will. He is faithful to save. As we come to a time of response today, I hope and I I pray that we see this morning that earthly offerings are indeed insufficient. It's not possible for them to take away sin. God is not pleased in them. They are not permanent. Only the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is sufficient to cleanse us from our sin and to make us holy and pleasing to God. As we do each week, we're going to close today by giving you an opportunity to make things right with God. Here in just a moment, we're going to sing a closing song. And if you're here today and you're ready to follow Jesus, I'd ask you to walk to the front of the room as we sing and say, Josh, I'm ready to follow Jesus. I want to be a Christian And I would be thrilled to to pray with you, lead you in a prayer of commitment of your life, and together we'll let everyone know of your decision that you want to follow Jesus. If you're here today and you've never made a a public profession through baptism, that's something that Jesus calls every Christian to do. You can come today and say, Josh, I'm ready to be baptized. If you're here today and the Lord has been leading you to unite with this church in membership and join us as we serve the Lord. You can come during this time and say, Josh, we would like to unite with the church and we'll rejoice with you in that as well. All right.
Let's stand up at this time. And as we stand, let's do so in a spirit of prayer. I'll lead us in prayer while I pray. Musicians, please come forward. Father, thank you for this time that we have had in your word. I pray now that your Holy Spirit would do what only he can do in drawing hearts to Christ. Lord, if there is anyone here today who does not truly, genuinely know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray, God, that you would draw them to you right now. You convict them of their sins. Show them that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. Grant them faith and repentance. Father, your will be done in this time of response. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's sing together. I'll be here at the front to receive you if you need me. Page 412.